Last week, we reported on Immigration and Customs Enforcement's plan to discontinue a program intended to keep women and children out of detention. Today, a look at the ICE facilities where families and their children might end up called family residential centers. There are three of them in the U.S., Burke's Family Residential Center in Burke's County, Pennsylvania, the Carnes Residential Center in Carnes City, Texas, run by the private prison company Geo Group, and the South Texas Family Residential Center in Dilly, Texas, run by a private prison company, CoreCivic. The facilities hold women and children. They get federal reimbursement dollars for each detainee they hold. Their use was expanded in 2014 under the Obama administration in response to the tens of thousands of women and children from Central America seeking refuge in the U.S. in that year. But the scale-up has been brutal and chaotic, and it is only expected to get worse under the aggressive policies of ICE under President Trump. Amanda Dorashow is a staff attorney at Her Justice, who's visited the South Texas Residential Center in Dilly a number of times, last time in December of 2016, as part of a volunteer attorney program with the CARA Family Detention Project. She has seen confusion, long waits, no access to lawyers, and inhumane conditions. The South Texas Family Residential Center has, I think, 2,400 beds. You go for a week at a time, and I say every time I come back, I need a good three weeks to get back to where I was. I was intensively for 12, 15 hours a day talking to women and children that had been raped, that had family members murdered, that are fleeing violence. And many times I was the first person that they had ever spoken to about this. And these were people, just to be clear, they were raped in the facility or they were raped and that was why they were asking for asylum? What sort of circumstances are you talking about? So in these situations, the people detained, the women and children detained, were refugees fleeing their home country, fleeing rape or gang violence or other gender-based violence and seeking asylum, which they have the legal right to do here in the U.S. And so the first thing that they have to do in this long, tedious process to claim asylum, they have to pass something called a credible fear interview. And that's with an asylum officer. And that's where they have to articulate themselves in a compelling way, their fears of returning to the home country. That was one thing I was doing with people a lot, talking to them about their claims, helping prepare them to go in for this interview. What's the... um situation for healthcare and general comfort in the facility that you visited? It's it's sick and it's horrific, to put it lightly. Um, you know, I knew it was going to be a, a bad situation when I went there for the first time, and this exceeded anything I could have ever imagined. But what do you say to people who say, well, she was just in a visitor trailer. She didn't know what she's talking about. Well, the visitor tra- trailer is part of the detention center. So people come in from the detention center and they're telling us about the situation. And I saw people with my own two eyes. So, for example, all of the children were unbelievably sick. They were vomiting. They had diarrhea. And all the children had this severe, severe cough that I remember I would put my hands on the back of a three or four-year-old and I could feel their lungs rattle when they breathed. I was told when I arrived not to drink the water there because it was rumored to be contaminated from fracking. Who told you that? Um, the project. And I also, there was some of the workers that worked for CoreCivic said to me as well, we don't so the, drink the water. The prison facility said, we don't drink the water that the detainees drink. Correct. The CoreCivic workers that when I was going through security, they said, we don't even drink the water. However, there is a huge jug of tap water in the detention center. And when I would ask a mother if their child who um, had gotten medical treatment, they would say that 
Um, they went to the doctor, and there would be two responses. One response would be, all I got was a, a Vicks cough drop and was advised to drink more water, or I don't understand what the doctor did to my child because they didn't speak my language and there wasn't an interpreter. What are the requirements for availability of health care at facilities like these under the law, if there is any? I can't um, speak to this fully, but I do know for family detention centers um, where you're detaining children, there's something called the Flores Settlement of 1997. And that kind of outlines the requirements that immigration must comply with in order to detain children. I believe there are requirements in there and there needs to be access to medical care. Um, One of the other requirements is that the detention center needs to be a child care facility. But in this case, the South Texas Family Residential Center has never been a licensed child care facility. What's the worst thing you saw or were told about in terms of conditions for children at the Dilly facility? Um, Here's an example of of what I saw. um, I met with a woman and a six-year-old girl. Um, The six-year-old girl was raped in her home country, and the the mother reported the rape to the police, and now um, her life, their lives are being threatened, so they fled here seeking asylum. Since the six-year-old girl had been raped, she she could not stop urinating herself, but by the time she got to the detention center and when I spoke with the mother, uh, she had received no medical care, no psychological support. And on top of that, now she had diarrhea and was vomiting and had this cough that every child had. Another incident I saw was my very first day was um, a volunteer walked in to find a four-year-old unconscious on the floor. The four-year-old was in the the children's room, which is supposed to be supervised, but it was unsupervised. No one was there, so no one had any idea how long this child had been unconscious for. And I remember looking around and seeing how it was just looked like this was a normal thing that happened. And I remember thinking to myself, how is this four-year-old being found unconscious a typical scenario? Like, when is this going to stop when you find a four-year-old dead on the floor? Because that's how horrific it was. Are there reforms (laughs) taking place at this facility? Is the facility itself trying to um, deal with some of these problems? Uh, Would you describe it as uh, overcrowded, uh, at capacity, generally speaking? I mean, one thing I do remember when I was there the last time was there were delays in people's releases. So what happened is people had a positive, credible fear interview, meaning you meet the first step to be released to file for asylum, and they had that decision, yet they were still sitting in the detention center over Christmas a week, two weeks later, waiting to be released. And immigration's response essentially was, you know, people are on vacation. We can't process people fast enough. So... Why are you detaining people after they've already met the minimum requirement to be released? A lot of these egregious human rights violations, um, these things have been going on. A lot of this started under the Obama era. Um, this, this detention center started in 2014. And that's one of the scariest things for me, the talk now of expanding these things. Amanda Dorshow is a staff attorney at Her Justice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Immigration lawyers told The Takeaway last week that the South Texas Family Residential Center continues to hold children despite not having a child care license. We reached out to ICE for comment on this story. Regarding the water issue, they directed us to contact the city of Dilly. The city did not respond. And as for the conditions, ICE points to a June 2nd report from the Office of the Inspector General about family detention centers. Quote, The Inspector General stated that contrary to the complaints filed by various immigrant rights advocates organizations... ICE addressed satisfactorily the inherent challenges of providing medical care, language services, and ensuring the safety of families in detention. 
ICE remains committed to ensuring its facilities adhere to ICE's detention standards, which provide several levels of oversight in order to ensure that residents in ICE custody reside in safe, secure, and humane environments.